Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hi, everybody. Ron Spomer here with another episode of Ron Spomer Outdoors. This podcast is, I believe, number 10 in our series. And once again, I'm going to read from some old magazine articles that the old outdoor writer cranked out back in the day. This one is going to be from Rifle Magazine, which was a great, still is a great magazine for real rifle aficionados. And this was May, June of 1995, and I wrote a piece on uh, rifles for pronghorns. And oddly enough, the title is A Rifle for Pronghorn. How do you like that? So, you know, if you're not a rifle nut, this might be a little too in the weeds for you. But uh, let's just see what I've thought about rifles for pronghorns in 95. Well, it will be too much in the weeds for me. So, (laughs) No big surprise there. No big surprise. So. So. You probably want to go to the reloading room while I read this then, huh? Yeah, that was what was on my mind. Oh, I think I'll go to the reloading room. Uh, No. No. Are you going to hang in there a little bit? We'll see. Well, honey, what happened in 95? You're a history nut. Well, it's interesting. When we go through these articles, I always go back and say, what was going on during that time? Mm -hmm. And probably the big news in 95 was the Oklahoma bombing. Oh, Um, that was bad news. O.J. Simpson was found not guilty. That was more bad news. And this is good news. Forrest Gump won the best picture Yay, of the year. Forrest. Yeah, that's a little nice contrast to the Oklahoma City bombing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I guess the world was about as crazy then as it is now. Maybe not quite as bad, but it was on its way. Well, let's escape all that brutal reality and get, get down to the basic reality. Wait of a minute. When you said brutal reality, is this, not, this article not reality? Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. We're going to get down to a little more pleasant reality. It might be brutal for the pronghorn, but they're going to get killed by something out there anyway. Better the uh, a bullet to the heart than a semi to the side. <laughs> you know, the interesting thing about pronghorns, and this is another one of those classic all-American animals that doesn't live anywhere else. Well, there are many unique features about the pronghorn, but the coolest one as far as hunters are concerned is that Back in the day when the populations were really low, I think we were down to something like 2,000 pronghorns total left in the world. When was that about? I would have been around the turn of the century. That's when most of the market hunting ended and we started what we call sport hunting. And so many people mistake the word sport hunting to mean a frivolous pursuit. You're just doing it for sport. That's not what it meant. It's not, people just don't understand it was to differentiate controlled, sustainable conservation hunting as we've known it for the last hundred years, as opposed to market hunting and poaching. So they needed a a phrase that people in that 
day and age would understand. And if you were a sport, that meant that you followed rules. You stayed within the boundaries. You didn't cheat. You didn't go out and shoot game at night with spotlights and all sorts of things that are now standard. We just know we don't do those kinds of things. That's all as a result of initiating this thing we call sport hunting. So that was about 1890s to 1910, somewhere in there. We started hunting seasons, limits, tags, and all the things that we do, plus reintroductions. I can remember when I was working for Fish and Game back in South Dakota in the late 70s, different states were still capturing pronghorn and moving them into older habitats where they used to live. So the population expanded back into some of its native habitats. And overall, the population did really well. So you went from 2,000. Now we've got about a million. It fluctuates, of course. And the population is again under threat from habitat destruction, which is generally what always puts a kibosh on, on wildlife. You're getting more highways, more traffic, more housing. Cities are getting bigger. I mean, gosh, you look at the front range from Fort Collins down through Colorado Springs. That used to be a lot of pronghorn habitat down there. That's now housing habitat. So those are the big, big problems. And, and it's gotten to where you've got to put in several years in a row to draw a tag for pronghorn. I used to be able to go to Wyoming and just pick up a license anytime I wanted. You can't do that anymore because no. we've tried. Yeah, I haven't drawn a pronghorn tag now for several years. So, but listen, when you do get that pronghorn tag, I mean, you need to have a right rifle. And this article is all about what I think is the right rifle. So let's just dive in and see what we're going to talk about here. A rifle for pronghorn by Ron Spomer. I know that guy. <clears throat> it's not easy, but I know him. I agree with it. Okay. Of all the big game animals in North America, the unique little pronghorn is the easiest for which to tailor a special purpose rifle. A rifle that is designed virtually without compromise for one specific task. The problem with selecting the ideal rifle for most game species is the variety of habitats in which they might be found. White-tailed deer, for instance, are most effectively hunted in eastern forests with rifles that maneuver easily and handle quickly. Thus, the famous lever-action, short-range, tubular magazine brush rifle. It works fine. In the Midwest, however, these same deer might be encountered from a stand overlooking a 300-acre crop field. In this situation, a rifle needn't be any more responsive than a smoke-cured ham, so long as it shoots flat and accurately to about 400 yards. In the real West, where whitetails live with mule deer, similar long-range potential is mandatory. But in a package that won't amputate your shoulder as you carry it over mountains and plains. Well, such is not the case with pronghorns. Whether you stalk them in Arizona or Alberta, they'll be in the open. The wide open. No trees, no brush, just flat to rolling land and a whole lot of sky through which a bullet must fly straight, often long, and always true. A pronghorn rifle's duties remain constant. An intelligent builder before creating any tool asks what it must do. Then he designs it to accomplish just that with a minimum of bells and whistles. So must a rifle buyer go about selecting the perfect pronghorn rifle. The primary objective is to throw a projectile large enough, accurately enough, and fast enough to kill 110-pound, thin-skinned mammals over distances as far as 400 yards, often in high winds. 
A secondary objective is that rifle must carry comfortably and function smoothly, quickly and reliably through dust, heat, cold, and light precipitation. Stones, clubs, spears, boomerangs, bolas, bows and arrows, air guns and shotguns can be immediately dismissed. Limited range. Cannons, however, howitzers, tanks, self-propelled missiles can also be eliminated. That narrows things nicely to rifled firearms. But let's not jump the gun, so to speak, and start comparing action types and barrel lengths yet. We haven't determined what size projectile we need for this said rifle to throw. A case can be made for any slug from 17 caliber to 45 caliber, but neither extreme will be ideal. On the light end, one grapples with wind drift and uh, retained downrange energy. On the heavy end, weight recoil and rainbow trajectory become problems. While the 17 Remington still our only commercial ion, this was back then, by golly, still our only commercial 17 caliber. Since then, there are several more. We won't get into those just yet. Um, the 17 caliber generates sufficient muzzle energy to kill the biggest pronghorn. Its tiny 25 grain slug can't hang in onto that energy, even at a reasonable pronghorn shooting range. Let's, uh, let alone at 400 yards. At 100 yards, the tiny 17 caliber pill is already down to about 600 foot pounds of energy. Besides, even if the bullet could hit with its full muzzle energy of about 900 foot pounds, it is so skinny and fragile that there's a good chance it could break up on a shoulder bone or even a rib. Similar arguments can be made against 22 center fires. While many experienced pronghorn hunters have used them with devastating results, the average shooter risks flesh wounds with any but the best placed shots using the finest 55 to 70 grain bullets. Boy, things have changed. Now we've got in the 20, 22 category, got up to 80 grain, 90 grain bullets even. That new 22 um, Federal, what do they call that one? At any rate, they, they've got a load with a 90 grain bullet in it. Yeah, this is going to be interesting because there were so many different bullets and cartridges back then that uh, we've got different ones now and better ones. So let's, let's keep reading here. There'll be some interesting historical perspective. So um, let's see, we were talking about 22s. Uh, factory ammunition in 222 Remington. There's an example. Almost no one uses or makes a 222 Remington anymore. It's all 223. So factory ammunition in 222 Remington, 223 Remington, 22250 Remington, and 220 Swift, which by the way was a Winchester creation, uh, are designed for varmints, not big game. While I confess to a personal love affair with the 22250 Remington, and I have used it without fail on pronghorns, I can't in good conscience nominate it as the best pronghorn cartridge. It's accurate in flat shooting, certainly, but a close look at wind drift tables alone puts 22s out of the running. Consider the ballistically efficient 60 grain Spitzer from Nosler. <laughs> Not anymore. That's not the bullet. You know what? That's just crazy. So the 60 grain Spitzer from Nosler was one of the biggest 22 bullets back in that day. Launch it from a 220 Swift at 3,700 feet per second, and a caressing 10 mile an hour crosswind will blow at 8.7 inches at 300 yards, 16.3 inches at 400 yards. That's sufficient to convert a dead to rights broadside heart shot into a gut or ham shot. The retained energy of this prairie scorcher, by the way, is around 700 foot-pounds at 400 yards. That should do the job, but it's marginal. 
In comparison, the 24 calibers are only slightly better. A 243 Winchester fired in a 24-inch barrel can push a 95-grain nozzle partition to 3,200 feet per second if you hand load it carefully. That muzzle velocity translates to about 1,000 foot-pounds of energy in a 14-inch wind drift, that's a 10-mile-an-hour wind, at 400 yards. Considerably more oomph than the 22 slug, but not much better at foiling the Zephyrs. A 6mm Remington will improve these numbers negligibly, as will the even faster 240 Weatherby Magnum. Trajectories are quite similar to the 220 Swift, roughly 2.7 inches high at 150 yards, dead on at 250, about 3 inches low at 300, and 14 inches low at 400. Now, don't get me wrong, any of these 24 calibers make a fine pronghorn puncher, but we can do better. All right, let's just try that. Let's step up to the 25 calibers and see what's possible. The 250-3000, sorry, too anemic at 3,000 feet per second with a 100 grain slug. Better is John Barsness's pet load, the 257 Roberts. It's a nice little cartridge if loaded to modern pressures. Cautious reloaders using modern rifles ought to be able to work up 200 grain muzzle velocities of 3,200 feet per second, maybe 3,300 feet per second from 24 inch barrels. And that's no three-legged racehorse. Specifically, the sleek spear 100 grain boat tail at that initial speed, 3,200 feet per second, will still pack 1,123 foot-pounds of energy at 400 yards. And the wind shouldn't blow at more than 12 inches. Trajectory should come pretty close to the 6mm Remingtons. Our next step up is the 25-06 Remington, which just might win this competition. Wind it tight with hand loads, and it will churn out 3,400 feet per second, propelling a 100-grain spearboat tail to a downrange performance of 2.2 inches high at 150 yards, 2.8 inches low at 300, and 12.3 inches low at 400, according to the Barnes Ballistics Computer Program. Again, this isn't appreciably different from any of the aforementioned cartridges until you consider wind drift. At 300 yards, it's only 6.4 inches. At 400 yards, 11.8. Not a major improvement, but we're chipping away at it. Enter the 257 Weatherby Magnum. You don't see this cartridge afield much, mostly because few manufacturers have ever chambered for it. Thanks to its hefty appetite for powder, this big case will throw a 100 grain projectile at an honest 3,500 feet per second, which translates into slightly better all-round numbers than the 25-06 can muster. Maybe a half-inch gain on trajectory and wind drift. Both cartridges provide more than enough pronghorn killing energy at just over 1,400 foot-pounds at 400 yards. You know, this is interesting. Back then, it was like 400 yards is about as far as you wanted to stretch a shot. And nowadays, these, these guys are shooting these long-range rifles start at 400. This <laughs> just really interesting is this perspective from, what, 25, 30 years ago. Quite different. All right, for any improvement in wind drift resistance, and this is the big deal, We'll have to step up to the 264 Winchester Magnum, which, throwing a 120-grain bullet, nudges out the best of the 25s by about a half inch at 400 yards. 
Most shooters would argue that the gain isn't worth the pain of the increased muzzle blast, recoil, and or the carrying weight, depending on how the rifle was built. There is no improvement in trajectory, just the opposite. The 6.5 millimeter bullet will be slightly lower at 300 yards, about an inch lower at 400. That'll uh, surprise a lot of people, but the 25 out 6 and 257 can shoot flatter. We'll stop here because there is little benefit other than increased downrange energy in increasingly larger calibers. With a 7mm Remington Magnum or 300 Winchester Magnum, you can almost match a 25-06 Remington's trajectory. But why put up with all the added weight blast and recoil? A pronghorn buck is, is easily felled. I'm not into overkill, so my cartridge search is over. I'll take the 25-06 Remington. Why not the 257 Weatherby? Convenience and cost, mostly. Although I reload most of my hunting ammunition, there are, is still some comfort knowing that the cartridges one shoots are readily available over the counter, and Weatherby's nah, aren't. Brass is also more expensive, and there is that bit of extra powder in each loading. Well, okay, I'm nitpicking what might amount to $100 over the life of the rifle. But we all have our idiosyncrasies. Who knows, next week I might say to heck with it, and I'll opt for the optimum performance of the Weatherby. Another good rationale for selecting the 25-06 Remington is broader selection in factory rifles. Currently, most major rifle manufacturers chamber at least one model in 25-06. We'll be considering only bold actions and single shots, no levers or auto-loading or pump-action rifles here. Accuracy, potential, balance, and reliability are the reasons. Besides, to my knowledge, no one chambers a 25-06 in anything but bold action and falling block actions. Let's consider the single shots first. For the dedicated pronghorn hunter, the man or woman who appreciates the history, tradition, and physical demands of this all-American predatory challenge, a single shot is the perfect tool. This is the action of the old plains market hunters and the late 19th century sportsmen who specialized in careful stalks, precise aims, and one-shot kills with sharps, Remington rolling blocks, Winchester high walls, and farkarsons but not very many of those or darn few Farquhar's ever made. Pronghorns are the perfect game for this brand of competent, confident, deliberate shooting. They don't sneak through woods and present fleeting chances. They stand on the cusp of the plains for everyone to see. So pick your buck, study him, stalk him, move slowly and confidently until you have him. Then take your time, assume your most dependable shooting position, aim carefully and squeeze. One single shot perfect. At an average weight of 8 pounds, I find the Ruger number no. 1 standard rifle rather heavy for my tastes, but it certainly balances beautifully and its reputation for accuracy has been secured many times over. Because the average pronghorn hunt doesn't involve hiking 15 miles a day or climbing 2,000 feet, an 8-pound rifle shouldn't be a handicap. But a scope, rings, and sling will put it right at 9 pounds, and that's a hunk. Still, this rig makes a mighty fine pronghorn tool. Dakota's trim little Model 10 has carried the evolution of the falling block to a fare thee well. It's weighing well under six pounds in most configurations. Even with a large scope, field-ready weight is less than seven pounds. I found this outfit purely delightful to pack, shoot, and even look at. At a list price of $2,500 and up, and these days it's way up, one pays for the weight reduction, but anyone who can afford it should. The Model 10 is my idea of the quintessential pronghorn rifle. 
This doesn't mean bolt actions are out of the running. While not to my mind as aesthetically pleasing as a good falling block, many bolt rifles are made sleek, responsive, and well-balanced. The Winchester Model 70 Featherweight and Remington Model 7 SS come to mind. Unfortunately, they fall short of ideal for pronghorn because they are handicapped by 22 to 20 inch barrels, respectively. The short action only Model 7 isn't chambered for 25-06 anyhow. In order to realize complete performance potential from that 25-06 Remington, barrels usually need to extend 24 to 26 inches. This is one of the few compromises that must be made in designing a pronghorn rifle. While short 22-inch barreled rifles handle quickly and carry comfortably, long barrels in 25-06 shoot flatter. Fortunately, there are no branches to catch on a 26-inch barrel projecting over the shoulder of a plains hunter. Long tubes will add weight to the field rifle, may tip its balance. This can be countered by good design and placement of the mass, but there's an increase of, a, of that sluggish feeling. These rifles don't whip into action quickly, but on the pronghorn planes, they're seldom asked to. All things considered, these are minor inconveniences well worth tolerating for the maximum performance gain from a long barrel. Bolt action enthusiasts must consider Winchester's Model 70 Sporter with 24-inch barrel and Remington's Model 700 BDL with a 24-inch barrel. Browning and Ruger come up short with their 22-inch tubes on their 25-06 Sporter actions, 24 inches on the Ruger Model 77 MK2RS, they don't make that anymore. One can always go to the custom or semi-custom route and have it his way. Someone like Lex Webernick at Rifles Inc. or Don Allen at Dakota Arms will build rifles to suit customers' tastes. Lex is still with us, but Don has passed away, unfortunately. He made some beautiful rifles. Another option is to hire a gunsmith to rebarrel in action. That's about the only way to get a 26-inch tube on a non-magnum, non-varmint rifle these days. Remington's Sendero can be had at 25-06 with a 26-inch barrel, but it weighs 9 pounds naked. No pronghorn rifle is complete without a telescopic sight, and this is one rifle that can actually use the higher magnifications today's shooters lust after. The 3-9 to nine variable would be quite suitable. I'd recommend using it at 6x for all but the longest, steadiest shots. Really though, the lower settings are pretty much wasted. But if the variable doesn't weigh any more than the fixed 6x scopes, and most actually weigh less, and are equally bright, contrasty, and flare-free, well then go for it. Even the 4x12x and the 4.5x14x variables wouldn't be bad choices, considering the 25x6 is an outstanding varmint round. You might employ it on coyotes and prairie dogs someday. One feature the pronghorn rifle scope definitely does not need is a large objective lens. Boy, that's true. Low light shooting is rarely called for in this enterprise. The quarry is up and about in the open all day, every day. Stick with a glass that will mount low and provide good cheek to stock fit. That I think is something overlooked by a lot of today's shooters with the big scopes. All they think about is the power and the brightness. So they want a bigger objective while well, you pay for that. That bigger objective raises the scope higher and then you have to get a stock that's got the adjustable comb on it and then that adds complication and weight and extra screws to lose and I don't know, I just think they make it harder than it needs to be. Anyway, that's my opinion. Oh, one more point. If you're buying a rifle specifically for pronghorn hunting, don't bother getting open sights and then mounting a scope above them. Start with a clean barrel. In 21 years of hunting with scopes, I've yet to have one fail in the field or anywhere. 
Besides, open sights don't begin to perform at the ranges at which the 25-06 Remington is deadly. Which pronghorn rifle then will you choose? Study the requirements and I'll bet you'll be carrying a medium sporter bolt action or falling black single shot in 25-06 or 257 Weatherby Magnum with a 24 or 26 inch barrel. It's simply the best tool for the job. As for me, if Santa were taking requests, there'd be a Dakota Model 10 25-06 under my tree with a 24 inch barrel, a loophole two and a half to eight Variax three scope and a soft sheen on the walnut. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, things have changed a lot since that one was written. Well, remember that you did a pronghorn video and I don't remember which year, but it's called pronghorn hunting. Oh, that, oh, I remember that. Yeah. Pronghorn hunting prairie perfection. Yeah. That was kind of a celebration of the, the perfect ideal rifleman's hunt in Wyoming. And that was with a 25 out six, but it was a bolt action Sabati rifle. That's an Italian built rifle. Not a lot of people know that one, but it was delightfully accurate. I remember making a careful one-shot kill on that pronghorn, so I could have used a single shot on that, no problem. But yeah, that was a fun hunt. They had a lot of uh, a lot of pronghorns on that property outside of Sheridan. What was it called? Ranchland Hunting was the outfitters to say on there. I don't know. I'm yeah, I think it was Ranchland Outfitters or something like that out of Sheridan. If you're looking for a hunt, they've had a lot of connections on private land. In fact, I remember now it was. There was an um, leftover tags after the drawing. I didn't draw a tag and then I checked the leftovers. And as is usually the case, they're on private land. That's why they're left over. You can't get permission to hunt. Well, this guy, the outfitter, had all kinds of ranches that he could hunt on. So you had to pay your guiding fee. He put you up. He had room and board. Guide took you out, showed you the properties and the whole bit. But yeah, I really enjoyed those guys. I'm trying to figure out when I, when you went. I, Where I went? I mean, what year? Oh gosh, I don't know. Is that I'm five, six years ago? Anyway, it's a good video. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> the videography. Yeah, I had a good videographer on that trip. What was his name? Rhett? Yeah, it's Rhett. Remember his last name? Cottrell. Cottrell. Rhett Cottrell. Excellent videographer. Yep. He did a good job. Yeah, that was a fun hunt. Well, all pronghorn hunts are fun, except for the ones where you get snowed on, snowed out, or rained out. I've had so many. It's so funny because pronghorn are living in the dry grasslands, and you just don't think of being rained out. But I was, I've been rained out several times on pronghorn hunts. I mean, we still hunted, but it was kind of miserable because the mud, you know, some of that Western South Dakota country sticks to your boots until you're walking about a foot higher than you started off with because of the mud piled up on them. Can't get around in the trucks and stuff. But if it's dry, a pronghorn hunt is, I mean, I've always said it's the quintessential rifleman's game because they're diurnal. So you get to see them. You don't have to go scrounging around in the bushes to try to flush them out. You just hike to the horizon and do a lot of glassing, see a lot of game, and then you get to try your stalking skills. I just think it's so much fun. And the meat is absolutely our favorite, isn't it? Yeah, I was just gonna say the meat is wonderful, but you have, to, some people don't like pronghorn meat and you might wanna speak to that. Well, I think it's because they don't treat it properly. And I've checked this out 
every which way. In fact, I remember one season I in a week's time, one weekend I had a hunt in New Mexico and next weekend I had one in Wyoming. And I remember the New Mexico buck was completely unaware. He was walking along. I came over a little rise or something and he came out of a swale and we saw each other at the same instant and I shot him in the neck, killed him instantly. That meat was absolute perfection, just tender and delicious. The next one I shot was with a muzzleloader in Wyoming and I hit him with this muzzleloader didn't go down right away. My buddy shot at him thinking he needed to finish him off and gut shot him. Ooh. Yeah, the dog wouldn't even eat it. So what I do is try to shoot one unawares. You don't want them after they've been racing and chasing around. Shoot a calm one unawares. Try to clean, kill it cleanly. And it doesn't matter if it's a central nervous system shot, like a neck shot or a heart shot. Doesn't seem to make much difference. But once you get them down... Get the meat off it quickly. I skin them out, quarter them, and put them on ice. That seems to do it. I might not have to put them on ice right away, but it's usually so hot. I think it's a smart thing to do. Keep the water off them. Put them in a plastic bag and get them on ice so they don't get wet because that encourages bacteria. But I've kept them for four or five days like that. And then get home and cut that meat up into steaks and roasts. Grind the rest up for hamburger, but oh, they're so good. I just don't, I just can't imagine people not liking pronghorn unless they're doing it wrong or somebody else gave them some meat that was treated improperly. But, you know, that's a big part of the hunter's responsibility is you're out there collecting meat. Sure, you're hunting because you love to hunt. You want to be out there interacting with nature um, as a natural man. I always say whether you're a man or a woman, I think we, we evolved as hunters. That's why we have eyes in the front with binocular vision and good hand-eye coordination. And we, we eat meat. We don't have the large vat force, vat stomachs like grazing animals do. So we're obviously not pure vegetarians. We're omnivores. And boy, as an omnivore, I sure like the pronghorn meat. Well, it makes me want to go pronghorn hunting, except that we can't get a tag. Yeah, yeah it's probably frowned on if you're out there without a license and no, a tag. No, you know? <laughs> we'll have to try again next year. Oh, it's too late this year. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, those are my, or at least they were my thoughts on the ideal pronghorn rifle back in uh, 1995. I can pretty much stick with them, but it would be interesting to hear some of your thoughts on the new 6.5s because they have really come on strong. Back then, that 264 Winchester Magnum was just about your only option for a 6.5 unless you shot the old 6.5 by 55 Swede, which isn't bad. That'll do anything the uh, Creedmoor will do in a different package. But now we've got that 6.5-300 Weatherby, the six, that new 6.5 Weatherby, RPM, I think they call it. Um, what else is out there? 6.5 PRC. That's about like a 270, but a lot more options in 6.5. I don't know that I would select that over the 25 at 6, except for better wind deflection resistance in the bullets. That's what really makes the 6.5's long-range favorites. They have been designed with fast twist rifling, one in eight, one in 7.5. So they will stabilize extremely long bullets and an extremely long bullet with a long tapering nose and a long boat tail can be made to resist wind drag or air drag. And that's what gets with bullets blown off course. It's not the wind just blowing them off course. It's the bullet slowing down to drag and it's in the air for a longer amount of time. And it gets directed off course and you got problems. So reducing the wind deflection is a big deal out in prairie country. Pronghorn country is often extremely windy. So 
there are certain advantages there. And that's where the 25 calibers now suffer. They have not kept up in bullet development the way the 6.5s have, or even the 270s. Now they're coming out with bullets up to 170 grains in the 270s. You have to get a fast push barrel to handle them, but they've just not done much with the 25s. Um, I've got a new 25-06 Ackley improved rifle here that I haven't started working with yet, but I need to jump on it because that's got a lot of promise. I had Shaw Barrels build it. They would make their own rifles there as well as barrels, and they made a fast twist 25-06 barrel for me. It's seven and a half inch twist on it. That thing is going to stabilize these Ace Blackjack bullets that are 131 grains, and I think the G1 BC rating on it is right up there about 6, 610 or someplace. It's really getting close to the, the 65143s. So that could be exciting because you've got extra velocity in that 25 out 6. You don't get in the 65 Creedmoor. I think we can beat it. Exciting project. How, how do you remember all those numbers? Well, it's easy. I just don't recite the numbers I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you study this stuff and have to write articles on it, they just kind of stick in your head. I mean, there are plenty of them I don't remember, but I've been reading up on these guys and, and seeing what I can do. And that's half the fun of, of being a rifleman and doing your own loading and building your rifles and stuff is looking how you might tweak things. It doesn't have to be done. You know, you grab yourself a 270 or a 243 and learn to shoot. And that's all you really need. But it's a lot of fun to get into the little weeds on this one, as we say. It's it's a hobby and uh, I enjoy it. Keeps the old brain stimulated. And I suspect a lot of the listeners are the same way. They probably have a few things to tell me about a better rifle for pronghorn than I ever came up with. And I'd love to hear from you folks. So, hey, if you haven't hunted pronghorn yet, I urge you to get uh, get out there and start applying for your tags and planning a hunt because it's the kind of hunt you can do by yourself without a guide outfitter if you can find good public land to do it on. And there's plenty of that in the West. Um, and then once you're out there, really, all you need is uh, some wheels to get into the prairie distance and then start hiking and glassing. Really, a lot of binocular and spotting scope work. Find yourself an, a nice buck or a comely doe with some nice venison on her and uh, make a careful stalk and a clean kill. Get the hide off, get that meat cooled, and you're going to have... One heck of a sweet adventure in some beautiful country. In addition, you're going to get a beautiful cape and horns for a mount. One of the most striking taxidermy mounts you could get is a pronghorn. And then you're going to have the finest venison of any game animal in North America, at least according to Betsy and me. So this is Ron Spomer signing off yet again on another podcast and recommending you check us out on YouTube, ronspomeroutdoors.com. Nope, there's no .com on that one. That's just the YouTube channel. The uh, .com is our website address, ronspomeroutdoors.com. You can check out my blogs and lots of information there. Facebook and Instagram, look for Ron Spomer Outdoors, and I think you'll find us. Uh, really invite your comments and let me know what else you'd like to hear. I'm going to continue shuffling through all the old papers and see what sort of articles we can read the next time going back to the yesteryears when men were young and dumb. <laughs> this is Ron Spomer signing off and reminding you to hunt honest and shoot straight.
pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to HuntStand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.